Hey everybody, this is James. Thank you for subscribing to Around Grandfather Fire, which is sponsored to you by The Wandering Owl, thewanderingowl.com. Tonight we're going to bring you an archived episode of one of our old podcasts that you might not have heard before. It is The Jaguar and the Owl, episode 27, in which I get to interview the Native American elder, leader, and activist Dennis Banks as he talks about some issues that concern him. And then Sarah and I answer an email question from Denmark on how to honor burial sites. Uh, remember, you can leave us a feedback on any of our shows through the Anchor app. You can applaud certain sections of the show. You can send us a voicemail. You can also hear this podcast on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, and more coming soon. Make sure you share the show like it, give it a good review, help us to keep this growing. Thanks so much for listening, and here's episode 27 of The Jaguar and the Owl. recently, and those who will pass soon after the sounding of this voice. I call to the dead and offer you blessings and light and warmth on this day. Your lives, your tasks, your works will not be forgotten, for as long as we live, we shall carry forward with your flames within us, and we shall honor those things that you did, you, the ancestors of us all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Jaguar and the Owl, coming to you from the Wandering Owl in Jackson, Michigan. I am James Stovall, known to some as Two Snakes and to others as Shaman Jim, joined once again tonight by my good friend and co-host, Saren Thodenson. How are you doing, Saren? Quite well, thank you. We've got a really good show tonight. I've got a couple things that I want to talk about. I know I think Sarenth has a few things he wants to talk about. We actually had a really good feedback question come in, and then we're going to cover that a little bit later in the show tonight. One thing that did come up, the, the person that submitted the question had difficulty figuring out where to get a hold of us. So I want to let you guys know that you can find us at thejaguarintheowl.com. You can follow me at James at the Owl on Twitter, or you can email me, Jim at the Jaguar and the Owl dot com. And to get hold of Sarenth, you would just contact Sarenth at gmail dot com, or you can go to my blog, which is uh, Sarenth dot wordpress dot com. So, but we're really grateful to have reader feedback, and uh, this was an exceptionally 
timely question and one that we were really excited to answer. So we're, we're going to cover that here towards the second half of the show. How's it been going for you, Sarath? Overall, things have been going actually really well. So thank you. Um, just coming, starting to just come out of the slow period in life, um, which is really interesting considering that so much is just starting to slow down and get ready for a long winter. Well, the last show we didn't we we uh, ran a read broadcast last show because I was kind of busy and I kind of want to share that a little bit more with you. I've told you about it somewhat, but our audience hasn't heard about it. Uh, I was really excited because two weeks ago I was invited out to Fort Wayne in downtown Detroit, which is a very historic fort. Um, one of the first, I think that was the third fort that was built in the Detroit area, if I'm remembering correctly. It's a very interesting place with this big earthwork, embankments, and everything else. And uh, the reason I was called out there is because we had an opportunity to visit with Dennis Banks. And those who are not familiar with Dennis, he was one of the founders of the American Indian Movement, AIM, Back in the 60s, it was the Native American equivalent of the Black Panthers with a lot of protest and not all peaceful protest. And so they were real rabble-rousers. And all these years later, he was coming to Detroit because in Fort Wayne, there was these, um, there's these burial mounds. And uh, those mounds, the uh, remains had been extracted by University of Michigan, they're about 900 years old. There's still a f- one mound with some remains in it, and the local tribes are trying to get the University of Michigan to release not only those bodies, but the funerary items, so they can be returned to the mounds there. And Fort Wayne itself is now more of a historic visitation spot, so it's open to the public, and those mounds are slowly being returned to a more beautiful state. The overgrowth was removed from them. So Dennis had come into town because he was going to talk about diabetes. That's his uh, cause that's close to his heart right now, one that he's riding around the United States talking about, and also to visit those burial mounds. So I had the distinct honor to be there to witness him putting tobacco offerings on those mounds. And then I got to do a sweat with him. And so it was myself and a few other people, local native tribes, and it was probably the first sweat lodge that was done on that land in well over a hundred years. And it was really powerful and intense. And he spoke so beautifully and eloquently, and it was such a moving experience and um, one that I was so honored to take part in. That's powerful. I mean, oh. it was. It really was. I, it, you know, it just, it hasn't left me yet, to be honest with you. And I don't think it ever will. But it was beautiful because Dennis himself, I've got an interview that we're going to be playing here in a few minutes, but Dennis himself uh, spoke about how old grievances have to be left behind. It's terrible that these things happened. And we can't let them continue, and we can't ignore them, but we can't also sit there with that hatred in our heart. And so it was really powerful that myself and a few other people were part of that sweat, because the intent was there that this would be a gathering of all tribes of humanity to show that there was no anger and that we can move past these things. So it was very, very powerful. A lot of prayers. I know I was praying for so many people uh, He spoke of the need as we were in the sweat to pray for people who couldn't be there and people who were ill and people who had passed on. And so just prayers and prayers and prayers. And if you are one of the people that I was praying for, which there was many of you, I hope you felt it and I hope you have received benefit from those prayers because it was a powerful and moving experience. And, uh, you know, I want to... uh, I want to take a minute to um, do something that isn't quite in the classical context to do with shamanism. I had an opportunity to sit down with Dennis, and I wanted to speak with him. I didn't want to push. I didn't want to push. I didn't want to push and 
talk about anything that he didn't want to talk about. And so that thing that connects with spirituality that's so important to so many people mm -hmm. is about the Ride to Cure Diabetes that he's doing right now. So if you guys would be so gracious, I'm going to play that interview and uh, play that interview and then Sarah and I will be back in just a minute to kind of talk about that a little bit and then we'll be able, moving on to our listener questions. So here's the interview that I recorded with Dennis Banks. First of all, I, I want to introduce you. You're Dennis Banks. You are one of the founders of AIM, the American Indian Movement, prominent throughout a lot of American history of the last few years. Very important work that you've been doing, raising awareness and uh, getting into all kinds of different social and legal issues. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you so much for that because as I've been reading through some of those histories, it's, it's really amazing some of the things that you've gotten done. And I wanted to know, since we're sitting here in, in Fort Wayne and you've come in to talk about diabetes, can you talk a little bit about what this project is, what you're speaking about tonight? I'd like to get the word out on that. We're on tour on, on across the... We started cross-country. We started in, in San Francisco and going east towards California and also uh, Washington, D.C., and also uh, from uh, Seattle, Washington, also going to D.C. These two uh, merged in Minnesota, and we came up through northern Michigan and then coming down to, to Detroit as well. So it's on. we're collecting information about diabetes. I did a walk. I'm a, I'm, I am a diabetic, and uh, I'm collecting information from from many tribes that we've we've been through. I did a walk in 2011, collected a lot of information there, collecting more information now with uh, with uh, with the northern route, <clears throat> and trying to identify what programs we have available to the diabetics in, in, in the states that we've been through and the reservations and what is needed, uh, what more programs are needed in there. Uh, for instance, there's a lot of reservations that have wellness centers, but they don't have fitness centers. Mm -hmm. And to me, they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we see a lot of people who uh, we go to these classes, wellness centers, but there's no physical activity that they can that they can become involved in. I mean, they can choose to walk a mile or two miles and walk back, but I think we need uh, fitness centers that'll uh, for the winter time. Uh, a lot of northern northern areas, they, I mean, it becomes very, very, very cold and severely cold. So. I would like to see a lot of fitness centers um, being uh, being built in the northern northern areas. Also, in other areas as well, like in in, in New Mexico and Arizona, we need we need we need these fitness centers. Um, and I thank I thank the wellness centers for doing doing a marvelous job because they uh, they're holding 1K, 2K, 10K runs, 5K runs. Uh, and so they're uh, they're trying to make aware uh, of the of the needs of, of of the diabetics. So that basically is what we're doing. And when we get to Washington D.C., uh, Washington D.C. is actually not our final destination. The final destination will be Baltimore, where the Indian Health Service is at IHS. So we will be pre presenting these some of these same findings that we presented 2011 as we did in 2008, 2011 rather, and now three years later we're, we're doing it again. And I want to see what IHS has done with our other recommendations that we submitted in 2011. Oh. This is actually called the ride to reverse diabetes because the thought is uh, as, as people embrace a more healthy lifestyle and and more natural ways of eating that they're going to be able to reverse diabetes or really stave off the effects of it longer. Is that correct? I, yeah. Well, of course, if, if they, there's a lot of exercise, I, we would like to see 
a, every 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 day uh, where there's some sort of physical activity mm -hmm. that's making them sweat, that's making them walk, making them run, but participating with groups of people, and this has got to happen for a while. I mean, it has to happen for about 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And to, if we're to reverse this whole system of, of type 2 diabetes, there's two types of diabetes. Right. I'm concerned with both of them. But I know I, I, I'm working primarily with type 2 uh, programs because I know we can reverse diabetes there. I, I'm a diabetic, as I've said, and I was taking nine kinds of pills and uh, medication for my heart because of diabetes, which caused a heart attack mm -hmm. six years ago. And now, uh, five years ago, I was taking off all medication, and today I have not taken anything uh, for, for my diabetes because I, I'm, I'm still, my, my glucose is good. Um, it's, it's not perfect, but it's very, very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not uh, in any danger, um, daily danger of, of um, having seizures. Uh, I mean, who knows? I, mean, I might have one this evening. <laughs> but diabetes strikes us in different ways. But if, we're, if, we're, if we have a healthy diet, if we have a lot of exercise, then our sugar, our sugar stays down, our sugar count stays down. And, um, and then we have the glucose, I mean, the, the glucose um, and the insulin can open those cells, so open the, 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 the pathway to, so that those sugar can reach the cells that give us the strength. Sure. <clears throat> so uh, I've, I've been learning quite a bit about how, what happens when, when sugar, which is in our cells, in our veins rather, and there's no, uh, there's no insulin uh, in, in, in that, that reaches the, that reaches the, uh, the cells. Uh, and so the, um, we have to have that, otherwise the, the, the sugar then runs wildly through our veins. When unchecked, there'll be more sugar, more sugar. And pretty soon there'll be a, a massive stroke, and and you're gone. Wow. So, so we <coughs> we need we need the insulin uh, to to unlock the the pathways to the so that the sugar can be directed to the cells, and you, you have a balanced mm -hmm. balanced system there. And if you put more, if you put more sweets in your system. Your, your your whole environment becomes acidic, but right. if you're if you're on a good path, walking, you have vegetables, and vegetables, and eating good, then you have a, what they call an alkaline environment. Certainly, you you don't want an acidic because that it embraces cancer cells <clears throat> and it holds them together, and, and we just we can't fight it. Then. It just keeps multiplying. So the the alkaline actually kills the cancer cells. So the more alkaline our system is, the less worry we have about, about diabetes. So that's in it. That's kind of how, what we're up against. Thank you. Now, is there anything, I have people that listen to this show from all over the world, but a lot of people in the United States, is there anything that they can do to help you to raise awareness or anything that they can do to, to help make the... Uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs more aware, or is there anything that they can do to help you in this work? Uh, well, I think they could, they could, well, first of all, I think that if they would go to uh, ridetoreversediabetes.com, um, it's, I don't know if that's exactly the words, but Ride to Reverse Diabetes, um, 2014, then they'll go, they'll, it'll link to our, our uh, homepage. Um, then they'll, they'll see the needs that we have. I think that Congress, um, the Indian Health Service, um, and the Indian Health Service always says it's underfunded. In, in this instance, I believe it is. I don't think that they're getting enough money for to help the diabetes programs. We need nutrition, nutritional specialists out there. We need we need directors that are um, that are good in planning uh, mm -hmm. uh, special activities, athletic activities. 
and get a, get the people moving again. You know, right. that's what we need. I, I'll, I can help. I can help jumpstart it. But we need those those people that are going to be every day. They're going to be like drill sergeants or something like that. <coughs> and of course, we're always in need of, uh, of money, mm -hmm. uh, gas money, and that's all. That's all. That's uh, that's all we ever ask for, because we, the people, are putting us up at homes. Uh, we homestay, and it gives us a chance to expand our our, our friendship with a lot of people. And uh, I like that. And so and it forces me to say, okay, where do we want to stay next up there? <laughs> homestay, you know. <laughs> and we stayed at some places where the, the, the di diabetes has taken a tremendous toll on the family. And there were, you know, one family had lost a, a mother and a, a brother um, and a young child, all in the same family. And wow. We were, the mother was devastated. She just, uh, she couldn't take it anymore, and she just was telling me that she, she really gets lonesome. And I think when I see cases like that, and I feel I'm going to come back here, and I'm going to jumpstart this community, saying all of us are going to get involved. We're going to, we're going to know each other. We're going to sit down and around, around, and we're going to get to know each other first. And then we're going to plan some outdoor activities. We're going to plan to walk together, to run together. And every day we're going to get together. So I think it's time that we, we, we open up the doors to each other. Mm -hmm. we, we all have a shut-in shut policy. That we, don't want to, we don't want to see anybody. And especially if, if our legs have been cut off, we don't want to see anybody. Depression sets in. And uh, another family where the, where the wife was, her husband is battling it very bad. And, it, and uh, it's taken both of his legs, and he was, he was, had his head down when he was talking to us. He said, I'm sorry, Mr. Banks, but I just, I just feel like checking out. And I'm, I think I want to. We stayed there two days uh, with that family. We talked to them, started firing them up, telling them, you know, Ken, Come on, we got you know you can do things yet. You know, let's do them. Let's you know mm -hmm. get to your wife and let's go for a walk with your wife or something. You need a wheelchair? Fine. Let's, you know, get the wheelchair and start going. Put on those those. He has false legs. Mm -hmm. You can walk with him. And I say, let's let's start. You know, let's start moving. Let's start. Let's move, move, move. And when we left there. Uh, it was very sad for, for us to leave him. He was smiling and he was tearing up. And and uh, his wife texted us uh, a couple of days later. She says, Dennis, you don't know what you did for Ken. And right now he's he's gone to the, he said he's gonna go over to the, start walking, start getting something going there, to get a fitness center going. And he's by himself and you know saying, we need a fitness center. So I, I think, Maybe that's my job too, is to fire them up a little mm -hmm. bit, give them some sense of hope that they can do it. And I, I'm going to try. I'm going to. I'm going to. What I can do. The rest of my life is is uh, dedicated to that. I, I'll be. So I've been five years without any medication. I feel good, and uh, I want to. I want to. I want to spend more time in the community, and that that's what I'm going to do. So. That's uh, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm gonna have a lot of friends when I go. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your night because I know you've got a lot of speaking left to do tonight. The last thing I will ask you: Are there any? Is he, I said the show is a little bit about spirituality, so I would ask: Is there any sort of prayer or thought or anything that you would like to offer to people that they would hear when they listen to this show? Well, I think um, the most important thing that um, that we have with us that we have is our life, is our uh, good life, healthy life, with strong bones, healthy bones, and please don't take that for granted. 
please don't, you know, bombard your system with, with foods that are, that are going to kill you. And, you know, food is, is supposed to be medicine for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we say food is medicine, and medicine is food. But when food becomes an endangerment to our, to our lives, then we have, to, we have to understand what we ourselves are doing. You know why? Why are we? Why are we only drinking? You know the, you know the juices, the heavy sugar juices. Why aren't we drinking just good old water and, you know, having a good time on that? Why do we bombard ourselves? I think. You know those who are pre-diabetic, those who are not diabetic, they they don't understand, and they will not move with emotion to to help somebody who's a diabetic. Because. Emotions aren't aren't there yet for them. Mm-hmm. They, it's hard to. I guess if you're if you're an alcoholic, and and, and you're hoping people will, will get together, but if you're not an alcoholic, it's not a concern of yours. Right. And many people who are not diabetics in this country, being a diabetic is not a concern to them. Even if it's their, their you know, if it's their child, of course they they have some some care for some medical attention to it. But until you become a diabetic, then you know that the what the emotions are like, and emotions are sometimes explosive. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the diabetic yeah starts yelling at at his wife, at, at the children, and the children don't want to come around. And the grandparents, the grandchildren don't want to come around and say, Grandpa's getting too grouchy. You know, I don't want to go over there anymore. And that, and then then the, then the grandfather becomes lonely because of the emotions, because they're unpredictable, which you would say if, some, if, if one of the grandkids knocks over a, a glass and breaks it, you know, you, 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 you yell at it. And, and then, then you realize that it's a piece of glass mm-hmm. that can be replaced. A grandkid cannot be replaced. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you so much. It was right. an honor meeting you. I'm very glad to have been in your presence tonight. Thank you so much for that. So that was a powerful interview, and I'm ever grateful for Dennis for taking the time uh, to sit aside with me. As you can hear, there was a little bit of background noise because it was such a large gathering. We went to a side room, and we did our best, but... You know, you could still hear noises and clattering in the background, but it was nice that I could have almost 20 minutes of his time to just sit and talk with him. And I don't know about you, Sarah, I I actually thought about you a lot when I was doing this interview because um, when he was talking a lot about not only buoying up other people's spirits, but just how food is medicine. And when he was saying those words, I didn't take it just simply as Western medicine. I was, it felt like spiritual medicine. And I thought a lot about you because I know you've struggled with diabetes and blood sugar a little bit. So I, I had uh, you in oh, mind yeah. a lot and it's very powerful work that he's doing. Yeah. And I, I, I was very grateful that I was able to, uh, listen to this too because it, it's such an important thing especially when you're talking about a disease that it, it doesn't care who you are it'll touch reach out, reach out and touch you you can be an athlete you can be heavy as can be it doesn't care and he nails it right on the head I think um, it's it's medicine it's food and I, I took as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him, I'm taking it in going, yep, just nodding and going, that sounds exactly how exactly. I feel about food. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't, sep- like I've said it several times, you can't separate the physical body from the rest of the soul matrix. It doesn't work. You know, we're, we're in this physical form for a reason. We should, we should as much as we can. Yeah, exactly. Especially thing. things that, you know, pulled out of the earth ourselves or we've walked to get or support your local farmers your local you know uh, people growing their gardens mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and it's it's there's so many different layers to that medicine that's the it's a powerful statement we didn't get to plant the garden this year unfortunately just so much craziness happening on with the uh, summer but 
the uh, asparagus that grew here before the house got put on the property, and then we had it harvested and put in a new patch, and it's now huge. Even even being able to call that through the middle of the summer, going out there and and taking in this food that we'd help grow ourselves was just a powerful thing, and being able to gift it to people too. There's nothing quite like putting your hands to the earth, thanking the Earth Mother, and then you know this, the lawn veteer, and, and taking back with you this food that'll feed your family and feed your loved ones. There's even if nothing like it. Even if you're buying from the local produce stand or the green market or something like that, you know, a lot of times I know I do, and right. I know you do because I've been there. You say prayers about the farmers in their fields and. It, it, it just rings so much deeper even when you know that farmer face-to-face. It's someone that you've... And you've had that exchange of Gabo, that reciprocity exchange as you as you mm-hmm. trade money for, you know, garden vegetables or whatever. It's, it's just a powerful thing. Yeah, it's a living relationship. It's not one lived through other agents. It's between you and them. It's it's powerful and it's intimate and it's one-on-one. And it, it ties your your... You're weird together tighter with the food you eat, with the people yeah, exactly. that, that bring the food to your table. <laughs> it's it's the whole process from beginning to end is just so much more powerful exactly. when you're when you're involved in it. Well, I think that we're going to have to take a commercial break here for just a minute. But before we go, um, I feel like I've dominated this entire conversation so far. And I know there's one important thing that I want you to talk about because you have been invited to be a speaker at a conference with the guests that we had on the very last show. So would you want to speak about that a little? So, yeah, I, I will be presenting at the New York Regional Diviners Conference. Uh, the conference is going to be held at the Quality Inn, 849 New York uh, 52, uh, it's going to be in Fishkill, New York, uh, on November 29th, uh, 2014. Uh, it's kind of a follow-up to the Polytheist Leadership Conference that took place uh, last year. Um, and it's a one-day conference, so it's a gathering of polytheist uh, diviners, seers, omen takers, oracles, a- a- anybody from all over the spectrum. Um, we have a lot of different guests who are going to be uh, talking, uh, myself included, um, I'm specifically going to be going into how divination affects our relationships with the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits, what the effects of divination are, and if we follow divination to its conclusion, how it shapes our religion, how we shape our, ourselves with it, how divination touches all these avenues of life, and why it's such a vital part of a living polytheist tradition. Very good. That's going to be really exciting. I know you'll do really well. I don't know if anybody out there has actually had the opportunity to have Sarath give a rune reading. Uh, they're very powerful. I've watched him give a few of them. I've been the recipient of a few of them, and they're they're very powerful. So I know he's going to do a great shop. And that that's all being organized by Galena, correct? So those of you unfamiliar with Galena, check out our last show on our archives, thejaguarandtheowl.com. Really great episode there. Uh, uh, Galena's doing uh, a lot of very powerful work out there and uh it was a very touching conversation that we had on the last show i had goosebumps all over it was really an amazing interview and uh if you haven't had a chance to hear that go back and take a listen to it and so with that we're going to run to a commercial break really quick and when we come back we're going to address a very powerful question that came to us from the other side of the ocean Happy anniversary, Rev. Six years and still seeking answers, and they said it wouldn't last. Yeah, what do they know? Bopkiss, what do you know? I know when to shut up and let you do your thing with our listeners, like dream interpretation, astrology, spirituality, numerology, and sometimes palmistry on the radio. Some people say I'm eclectic. Some call me esoteric. I prefer to think of myself as spiritually OCD. That's what makes you, you. I'm a drummer, by the way. Can I sleep on your couch? Anytime. Except Thursdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time on para-x.com. Hi, this is Hollywood Hunt writer Marla Brooks, and you're listening to the Para-X Radio Network. And welcome back to the Jaguar and the Owl. And uh, as I was telling you before the break, Sarenth and I received a really interesting question and a really... uh, powerful question that that honored us deeply. I have to tell you that when Sarah and I received this question, 
we were a little bit uh, floored. Yeah. Because this is a question that comes from Denmark. And so it is the land of uh, the traditions that Sarenth follows, in, in, in a, some regard at least. And mm-hmm. so to have a question come from Denmark to us, it was just such an honor. So you won't know... Uh, uh, Brian, how much you touched us on this one. So the question comes from Brian in Denmark, and he said, his question is, I live in Denmark, and recently I filled out an application for the adoption of two barrows or burial mounds. This means that I would look after the barrows, keep up the garbage, cut the grass, and remove unwanted plants that will harm them. I was thinking about maybe leaving some offerings from time to time, but I'm not sure the best way to approach this. Do I simply pour some water or some mead on the barrow and leave some fruits? Or is it better to leave a small cup and maybe once or twice a week fill it with water or mead? Maybe leave bread and fruit. Mind you that I also have to think about local wildlife because these two barrows are located in the forest. Looking forward to the next podcast. So thank you for that question, Brian, because Sarenth and I had a really good time discussing it this past Saturday. We really kind of mulled it over back and forth, and uh, we want to talk about it a little bit more in depth tonight. So, Sarenth, why don't you go ahead and talk about maybe what your initial thoughts were, and then we can go into talking about how our thoughts morphed a little bit as we talked about this further. Mm-hmm. So my initial reaction when uh, I read this was, oh, my gosh, Somebody from Denmark wants our opinion on barrel mound care. <laughs> and I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so shocked. Uh, and I'm definitely honored. So thank you. It, it means a great deal that you would come to us with this question. Um, it certainly hits me right there, right in the heart. Um, my initial reaction was, hmm, you know, I have an outdoor shrine and I've left a cup at it. Um, it's a brass chalice that I bought from a uh, thrift shop forever and a day ago. And I don't tend the outdoor shrine as much as I should. Occasionally the cup will get full of rainwater or leaves, and I have to go out there and empty it and clean it. And so just from a practical perspective of, you know, if you're going to be out there once a week, probably not the greatest idea. Uh, just by virtue of it, it, it'll get gunky. Um, and then I took it also from the perspective of the lawnvateer themselves. It's, do they want that there? And do they want you to leave a cup? Um, and the way that, you know, you can simply figure this out is, uh, if you don't have a, a system of divination right now, pick up three stones, um, and say to yourself, this stone represents, uh, yes, this one represents no, and this stone represents the indicator as to which is which. So you've got a yes stone, a no stone, and a deciding stone. And you pray over the mound, you put the rock, you ask the spirits to give you an answer, then you ask your question, be very careful with how you word your question. Um, and just ask them, you know, do you want me to leave it? You know, for instance, would you like me to leave this cup here? Um, you know, if you get a, a no, a good follow-up question might be, should I leave a cup here? And that'll mean, you know, you, if there's a yes there, that means, okay, you just got to keep your eye out for a special cup. Or do you, uh, you could even bring it back even further. Should I leave a vessel of some kind, like a bowl or, you know. Um, so that's one way that you can figure out if the lawn spirits really want this, the lawn vitre really want this or not. Um, so <laughs> we went back and forth on this quite a bit. It was, it was right. a good conversation. Because I think the the initial thought was, the one that popped out the fastest was, sure, go ahead and leave stuff and leave this and leave that. And then and, and, and we should go ahead and, and mm-hmm. do the divination to see exactly what things should be left. And for some reason, Spirit said to me, hold on, you guys are answering this too quickly. Mm-hmm. So Sarenth and I, we decided that when, after we received the question, I don't know, this was week, almost a week and a half, I suppose, ago now, that we decided that we would wait until we were face-to-face, and we were really going to sit down and talk about that answer. And we had the opportunity to do that this past Saturday afternoon. And so, I think, initially, we talked a lot about the Landvateer and those considerations, and maybe 
Sarah, is there anything more that you want to say about that? Yeah, I, um, the borrow is, as far as I'm concerned, are a holy place. And so um, they might have their own individual, each borrow might actually have its own individual need. As far as does it want a cup, does it not want a cup, what kind of offerings the spirits want, yada, yada. Um, how you're even supposed to approach cutting the grass. You know, each each uh, lanvater is its own. Each each uh, lanvater, excuse me, is its own spirit. So, its own vater. So, keeping that in mind, um, as you go forward, you know, not all borrows or borrow whites or borrow vater um, will want the same thing. And that even uh, individual dead in the borrows might actually start asking for stuff. And so keeping in mind that this is an evolving relationship and that the answer you get from divination today might not apply a year from now. Right. So we had, we had hashed out a lot about the land of a deer. So, cause we, we were considering, you know, the trees and the grasses mm. and the type of environment that you typically find, the fact that there might be other people around occasionally, uh, there could be trees, wildlife, and so there was a lot of consideration. And as we were having that conversation, something that Sarath mentioned kind of resonated with me, and I expounded on it, and that became the whole, well, wait a minute, the Lanvetir are not the only consideration here, because mm -hmm. the barrows themselves have the spirits of ancestors, of people in them. So that became another level of consideration. Oh, yeah. Also something to keep in mind. If you work with the dead long enough, they might just adopt you. <laughs> so uh, just be aware that, you know, if you work diligently and well with these borrows, you know, the dead inside might actually reach out and start interacting with you and saying, you know, come more often. Or or they might say just, you know, okay, leave your offerings and get the hell out. It totally depends on, on their particular uh, mood and how they're how they are, have interacted with humans. Um, I've run into some lanvetir that absolutely do not care one whit about whether or not they're visited by humans, just so long as you don't litter. Uh, I've met others that have been deeply hurt, and they don't want anything to do with humans, and you get that oppressive feeling of, I should go, <laughs> as soon as you start set foot in an area. Others are very welcoming. So, um, trying to meet them on their own ground and understanding that this is a relationship that kind of develops uh, from simple, small things and can go in a, a myriad of, of ways into different places. Right. And, and the next level of our consideration that we took was, okay, so we're going under the assumption that you can take the time and the diligence and you can make the Lanvetir know that you want to be there to leave these offerings and that you mean no harm and that you're not trying to claim this space for yourself and then you the second consideration is the dead that are within those borrows and so we really started to toss around the idea of is it appropriate to leave man-made items or not and this became a little bit of a back and forth because if you come at it from the mm -hmm. landvetir aspect too strongly you it could feel inappropriate to leave too many man-made items and then on the other side you know, you're not honoring the dead if you're not leaving things that are familiar or useful to them. And so we really kind of caught on the idea of the cup. And as we talked about the cup, we came to the realization that it was the cup that was resonating wrong with us. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, Sarah, or do you want me to go further? Yeah, so we, we, we expounded on this for quite some time about why the cup felt so freaking wrong. It, we, it just stuck in the craw. It was, it was weird. It was like, why, why are we having such an issue with the cup? And we started talking about, well, what does it symbolize and what does it mean? And I, think, I, I believe I was the one that brought up the understanding that the cup is a, a vessel for oneself. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Whereas the, the bowl is a communal thing. Right. The thing that we hit on was that a cup says, this is my drink, where a bowl has a resonance that says, I'm here to share. 
And, yeah. and it struck us both very powerfully that perhaps the ideal thing for leaving offerings in this circumstance might be a simple wooden bowl. Yeah, because you're talking about um, leaving out offerings, and you're, these are these are a multitude of spirits. You're talking about the grass, you're talking about the ground, you're talking about the trees, you're talking about the animals, you're talking about um, the dead themselves, um, anything else that might happen to live there. And so, you know, well, who's going to drink from the cup exactly. <laughs> can become a contentious issue. Right, where a bowl, where if you fill a bowl with water or with seeds or with other breads or other offerings, um, that becomes something that not only can the spirits of the dead share, but the landvateer can share. And whether the animals that show up are representatives of the dead or of the landvateer, it doesn't matter. They could easily access the bowl and be able to enjoy it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think you made the point, Tim, and this is one that I think is really profound, that the cup was rather like a tower, where a bowl is like the barrows themselves, inverted. It is, a, it's a, something about the shape actually resonates with the task that you're trying to accomplish, Brian. The, Brian, the, the, the shape of the bowl would resonate more with the task that you're trying to fit into this circumstance. Yeah, the uh, oh man, what a, it was really it sounded really profound when I said it. I wish we'd recorded. It. <laughs> it still is profound. Um, you just you just does doubting yourself because you're repeating it now. So, um, <laughs> so when you invert, you know, like when you're you're inverting the offering, um, when you're actually tipping it over, you know, um, when I when I go outside and do my offerings for the lawnvetir, and I have a bowl in my hands versus a cup, it's there's this sense of this is it with the the cup that I don't get with the bowl. There's this um, well, like for instance, uh, sometimes, like I said earlier, uh, I, I accidentally will leave my bowls out and they'll collect rainwater. And I le- I've, I've left my brass cup out there and it collects like next to nothing in terms of rainwater. So it's even the the collection of this energy that you're putting out. You know, the bowl is much more suited to catching and, and containing. And then when you turn it over, it's much like like I said earlier, it's much like the land itself. You know, it's spread out. It's it's emptying of itself, and yet you can fill it back up. Well, the, the bowl turned over, like I said, is the shape of the burrows themselves. Where the bowl mm-hmm. right side up is a is a vessel to be filled. It's kind of like the pregnant mother earth itself, where it's meant to be filled. And so there's yeah, a the there's graves. a contrast. There's a, a, a uh, dynamic quality to that bowl. Now, our thought is is that you might not want to leave it out all the time. Maybe it's something that you put out for special occasions, a special day here or there, the, the equinoxes, the solstices, um, that it might not be something you leave out constantly. But it was basically our feeling, and, and it really felt like it grabbed us both by the back of the neck when we said the proper thing to do is to go there with a wooden bowl and make it clear that it's for everybody and, and set your intent and that that was going to be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to offer it a regular place, uh, I, I, I very strongly think you should find a boulder or something on the on or near the barrow if, if you're going to make regular offerings at this place and the spirits are cool with it. Um, I would definitely recommend... Um, asking them to work with you on finding a ve, a shrine space for the regular interactions. That, and it, it, it would be really unfortunate if you did happen to leave your bowl behind and you didn't know where to find it. <laughs> right. <laughs> even a, you're saying so even a nice flat stone or something nearby that can act as mm-hmm. your, the, your central focus when you go there to leave offerings. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, this is an interaction, you know, between them and you, and you, you need to consider yourself too. Um, <laughs> as opposed to clambering all over the, the borrow or the land around it to find a, a proper spot every single time. You know, if you agree on a place to meet, it might also um, help spirits who, while this particular contingent of spirits might be really cool with humans, this other isn't so sure. Um, it kind of creates this space where it, it's easier to meet. And... Um, much more uh, able for people, for beings, for peoples, 
who haven't had very good interactions with humans or who haven't had a lot of interactions, period, <laughs> to kind of have a neutral, neutral, neutral sacred space where you know, you've agreed this is a good meeting spot. Right. So the, the offering itself doesn't necessarily have to be mead or water or fruit or right. bread. It, it can rotate around. It can, it can be variable based on the needs not only of the wildlife in the area, but what your instinct is telling you, what, what spirit is trying to tell you about what the proper offering is. The It doesn't have to be the same thing every time. Right, right. And it also is okay if it is. One of my most common offerings is water. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it might be every time you go to the borrows to go clean, you're like, oh man, I have to make a so- short little shopping list of stuff the spirits want. Um, and the, and. I'm sure once you start working with the land, they're not going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to tell right. you. They're not going to be quiet about it. Well, and you also have to consider that sometimes, uh, like I said, you, sometimes you might want to aim it a little bit. Like, so maybe it's mead one time because the, the dead feel like they need the offering mm-hmm. more. Maybe next time it's salt because it's closing in on winter and the wildlife needs, would, would appreciate the salt like a little bit more. You're going to, you're going to vary that a little bit based on what spirit's telling you. I think now, one thing that we didn't talk about, Sarah, and this is one that just popped into my mind, so I don't know if it's relevant for Brian or not, or maybe for someone else who's listening, but depending on the layout of, of the space, if there's mm-hmm. a fence or a gate, what are your feelings about leaving offerings at the gate, at least to make sure that you should have, pro- you have proper permission to enter? That's a really good point. Those liminal spaces are really important, and there may be spirits that jealously guard that border. Um, and if you're in cahoots really well with the spirits, they might actually, if you get lost or something, they'll help you find your way out. So it's actually kind of uh, practical as well as spiritual, really a good idea to leave offerings for any gate guardians. Or it might just be that two trees um, in the area or on the barrow seem to be like the head mm-hmm. of the place. So finding the head lanvati or finding, or even uh, the head dead uh, it's especially, actually, I would recommend both in this case. Um, kind of finding the overarching vatir or uh, vatir that um, kind of organizes the area. So, yeah, that's a really good right. point. So, if there are gates around, definitely make sure you offer. Right, because those. if you're, you know, it depends on the area. There might have been a stone hinge with, or hedge with a, a, a just a, a doorway through it, or it might be something that's a little closer to to areas that have been settled a little bit so there might be an actual physical fence there or maybe you know mm-hmm. so just for some reason that popped Ooh. into my head as a consideration oh something just wow okay something just walked me over the head right. i got to talk about it so in a lot of ancient um scandinavian and german sites you don't take mm. weapons in into sacred right. place um now some might not care but like it depends on who is buried there and what their expectations are at least for the initial two or three meetings with these borrows, don't take weapons in. Don't don't even like if you can avoid it. Don't take a pocket knife in, or if you're going to take uh, like a pocket knife or some sort of tool in. Um, at each gate and the borrows themselves, make sure they see it. Like literally, pick it out of your pocket or take it off of your side. Show it to them. Let them know it's not going to be used. Well, on since them. part of Brian's question has to do with groundskeeping, removing grass and unwanted plants, does that mean that you're recommending, and I think you are, that there should be a couple of visits beforehand to establish that relationship before any bladed instruments are taken in? Yeah, because our idea of what is a good thing to have in these places may not be the lawn vatier or the spirits of the dead's idea. Um, making, making very good, clear uh, boundaries as far as that goes early on will save a lot of headaches and not to mention um you know they, they may well clue you into something that you know the experts in the area might not understand or it, there's any number of things but basically trust them um that they know <laughs> what what they want done with their land yeah with the land of it here uh you want to make sure that when you are cutting grass or especially when you're removing plants altogether that just make sure you offer a mm-hmm. simple apology or maybe there's that same type of plant that's a little further away that isn't a bother. So maybe the, the as you apologize for ripping one up and then later you offer 
water and offering to the, the plants that you're leaving to, is, is an apology. I'm sorry this has to be done, but I have to maintain the balance between nature and the ancestors, and so I have to do this. Please forgive me for what I have to do here. Something else I might want to consider is if you start on if you start knowing especially which plants start becoming really problematic, um, make offerings to the uh, uh, lacking a better term the grandfather or grandmother of that plant, um, because while the individual plant may not understand the 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 grandparent will right. yeah, usually. The- or at, at least if they're if they're not ter- terribly pleased with the idea, you can at least right. The thought in a lot of traditions is that that there's the spirits of individual plants, and then there's the spirit of the plant as a whole, which is something that's much larger than mm-hmm. the spirit of the individual plant. And although you might have to damage the individual plant, you can appease, make offerings, apologize to the larger spirit of the plant as a whole. It also might be worth your while to start researching some of the. Uh, especially if you find that a lot of them are like rampant growth types, see if they have any, um, like I know that that, uh, certain strains like mugwort, for instance, around here will tear through grass and just plant wherever willy-nilly. Granted, they're on the other side of the the pond, but uh, it's something to keep in mind that as you're doing the job of keeping the grounds, these might actually be sacred plants from from the traditions that, you know, you're appealing to or are part of. So um, you know, one person's weed is another person's yeah, sacred exactly. herb. I think i got to point out at this point in time, since we've given so much information um, to Brian or anybody else that's listening that's under a similar circumstance, although we've just laid out a ton of stuff, first of all, your instincts might be telling you something different, and that's fine. That's okay to listen to that instinct and follow up with divination and talk to other people and make sure what you're going to do suits your area and what the spirits are telling you. And the second one is, it sounds like a huge task. It sounds like what Mm -hmm. we're laying out is this huge set of things that's going to take forever to get done. But if you approach it with the right mindset, and and even the cutting of the grass can become a sacred act, and you're going to find it really doesn't take very much time, it really doesn't take very much effort, and can be very, very rewarding. Yes, exactly. And just because I might do something one way or the other, you know, does not mean you have to do it your way. Um, these are your relationships with the, the boroughs. I'd be lucky if yeah, I could visit exactly. them. Exactly. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll get to Denmark <laughs> one of these days. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be Denmark, fabulous. Peru. We got all kinds of places to go. So, all right, let's oh, concentrate yeah. on that winning the lottery thing. Or maybe we have a maybe we have a very <laughs> rich sponsor out there. If so, you can contact me at Jim at the Jaguar and the <laughs> I am sorry at gmail.com. Thank That's you for right. your patronage. Well, with that, <laughs> I think we've got to wrap up the show. We have already sped through another hour. And so since I did the opening prayer, Sarah, you said you were going to do the closing prayer. So I will turn that over to you. Hail to the Lanvatir. Hail to the great mother Yorth beneath her feet. To Nerthus, who nurtures us. Hail the gods and goddesses of this earth of the world around us hail to the ancestors who called the earth called it home hail to the land that called them to their home hail to the ancestors who were farmers crafters artisans scholars warriors leaders holy people hail the land that claimed them all. Hail to the land of our birth. Hail to the mitochondrial Eve, to the chromosomal Adam. Hail to the elders, to the eldest ancestors. Hail to you all. Best in a while. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the gods and the ancestors and the spirits. And we will talk to you next.